0: for joy to God, our strength shout joyfully to the God of Jacob raise a song, strike the timbrel, the sweet sounding lyre with the harp, and blow the trumpet. You know there's something about this that reminds me of the worship that we had. And there's something about worship that does something to our mind. It does something to our spirit. When you're worshipping God and this is not really explicable in any uh, rational way, something happens to our spirit that releases power into our mind and gets us into the wavelength in which God can speak to us. If you get into it, if you get into it. Now, it's possible for you to actually worship God and praise God with your mind and and subsume it into all the myriad thoughts that you have, you know? You can bring worship into just the realm of your own thought, and then you actually uh, disempower your worship. You you bring worship into the wrong realm. But what we are talking about worship is that when we set our heart towards God and give it all to God, something happens to us that causes us to be able to hear His voice. And you should try it for 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 a while that is why during the 60s and 70s especially the 70s during during the charismatic movement people talk about praise a lot merlin carithers is one of those who, who wrote the, the bestseller uh prison to praise and you know books like that then because people suddenly realize that by praising god in whatever circumstance something happens neurologically or something that causes us to be in the in the in the in the in the, in the realm in which we could hear the voice of God because the, the Lord will not necessarily uh, say things, but He will hint things. He will, he will impact you with certain promptings. Yeah? So, th- th- that's all verse 1 and verse 5 is, a, is about. Verse 6 then, I relieved his shoulder of the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. You called in trouble and I rescued you. So verse 6 and verse 7 is is about liberty. We were talking about liberty and freedom last week. Remember that? That God is bringing us into a freedom and a liberty. When we ask for it, we ask Him to set us free, He does that. But then there's more. There's more than what we ask for from God. We can ask God to set us free and then God says, no, I I have more for you. And I bring you in to my lair, my kingdom, in which I'm going to do more for you. And it's this more that Psalm 81 is always talking about, okay? I relieved his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. You called in trouble and I rescued you. I answered you in the hiding place or the secret place of thunder, I proved you at the waters of Meribah. So Israel was calling to God to save them from slavery, and he did. And then in verse 6, verse, uh, verse, yeah, verse 7, I answered you, and I proved you. So he, Israel gets more than it asked for. Isn't that amazing? That's the way with God, right? You can be asking Him for things, but He's got something more in mind. You can be looking at him, but he's piercing his look into you. He's more intensive in, your, in his answer to you than your question to him. You will get more than you bargained for, because he is a God. He can only relate to you as a God. He does not relate to you as an equal, he relates to you as a God. So when you're looking at him, he's looking more at you than he, you are looking at him. And so he says, I answered you in the secret or the hiding place of thunder. I proved you in the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you, O Israel, if you would listen to me. Let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. And I think the center of gravity in this psalm is that verse open your mouth wide and I will fill it, that God has so much more for us than we can have space for. The rest of it is a regret that God expresses about how small Israel opened its mouth towards Him. But my people did not listen to my voice and Israel did not obey me, so I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. Oh, that my people would listen to me that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their, their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to Him and their time of punishment would be forever. But I would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. There's this, Oh, I would have done this. yeah. And so last week we talk about, talk about the would have and the could have of God. Actually, if you look at life and the scriptures from the point of view of what God would have or could have done for us, then we have a picture of what God really intends for all of us. What do you think? When he expresses, you're you're not experiencing what I have intended for you. And perhaps you are feeling, is this all there is to in the Christian life? Is this all that the Bible is talking to you, talking to me about? All that miracles give, reduces to this little fuddy-duddy, little, little handkerchief-sized life in which there's not that much happening. In fact, on most of the things that in, in my life can be explained naturalistically, because there's not that much happening. And God's all that I I would have, and I could have. Is a lament because it expresses the bigness of what god has intended for us and the difference between what he intends and what we are experiencing what say you right right we are talking about that right psalm 81 is talking about god saying open your mouth wide i have all this for you you may ask me for deliverance i answer you and i give you more than what deliverance you got What say you so you can ask the question why is there not more then why do most christians live a christian life that is at best orderly well organized but not miraculous not providential doesn't have the 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 mark of god upon them why is it there's such a far cry between what god intends and what we experience I've been thinking about this a lot as long as I've been in BCF. Because VCF is, is a bit peculiar compared with my previous experiences in the sense that a lot of people don't seem to experience the the inbreaking of God. There seems to, seem to be something missing. And I've been praying about this a lot because I know from what I know of God, that God has more than what many people are experiencing. This is not a, con- this is not a, 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 a condemnation. It's not an accusation. It's just that I notice that. You know how sometimes I think about it. Ah, there should be more, right? Now as a pastor, there's more intensity in that feeling. I'm not as whimsical. I'm saying, there must be more. Lord, what is wrong? What is wrong? You know? Why is normal so deflating? Yeah? So that's what, that's what I, uh, Psalms 81 is. And there are three things that the psalmist says could have been and would have been, and perhaps we can identify with these things. I would have turned the enemies against, into defeat. I would have destroyed the enemies in front of you really quickly. How many of you feel you are in, in warfare? And surely it could be a bit faster right I, why are my enemies so powerful i was i was reading some some literature about exorcism in the mainline churches i won't say which one and they are talking about how people can everybody exorcise can have everybody cast out demons and what preparation do we need and what kind of study do we need what what kind of uh, um um uh, religious order? Do I have to be in order to be an exorcist? And I say, that's all too much. Jesus simply said, you cast out demons, right? Yeah. And any manner of spirits, right, will be cast out by you. And the kingdom of God is that. The finger of God comes upon you and demons are cast out. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Simple as that, right? Now we don't have to go into all the rigmarole about all that kind of stuff. But it seems like for many Christians, this is special. And I will put it to you that this is ordinary. Okay, so the first thing that he says, uh, the psalmist says, is that uh, your enemies will be de- destroyed, and they will even pretend to, be, to, they will feign obedience, so to speak. The second thing is, he says, um, I will feed you with the finest of wheat. Yes? In the Old Testament, the picture of wheat is, has to do with the, the Word of God, the inheritance of, of the people of God coming to pass. Yeah. I have the, I'll feed you with, with, with the, the inheritance of God, right? Okay, I'll feed you the fin- finest of wheat. And third, third, not instant oatmeal. The finest of wheat, of wheat. We were talking about instant oatmeal last week. And the third thing is, I'll feed you with honey from the rock. The thing about honey that was that Jonathan, when he took the honey from the rock, from the bees', from the bees uh, uh, honeycombs, his eyes were brightened, Right? And it's from the rock, and we later hear from Paul that that rock was following them through the wilderness. That's from God. You can hear from God. We can get receive a word. We can receive refreshing from God, and all that. So those are the three things that we should be having. Having, Amen. And so I want to ask the question: Is there more? Isn't there more? And we can use this without any sense of condemnation as a marker, as a as a, as a calibrating instrument to think in terms of like. What is God promised and what is my life? Now, I feel that most Christians have been lulled into thinking that this kind of pedestrian kind of Christian life, may I, may I use that word, uh, is normal. It's normal. And nowadays we have leaders who are brain, brain smart, but don't experience this. It makes me wonder, in a good way, you know, in a good way, in a very benign way, in a a genial way, surely there must be something more. The pastor side of me says, surely there's something more. The friendly side of me says, maybe there's something more. I think God has something more for us. And it grieves his heart that, that uh, he has to lament over this. So I was, just, we were talking about it. Um, but sometimes the more requires more. 483 BC, the Persian Wars were coming up in the wake of the First Persian War. In which Persia, the Persians defeated the Greeks and the Spartans in the Battle of Thermopylae. Right, this is where the 300. Themascules understood that there would be a second Persian war, and the Persians would outnumber them and, out, and, and overwhelm them, and defeat was. Imminent. At that time, the Greeks were warriors, an army of the phalanx. Yeah, the phalanx, in which they would be in formation, like a, like a sort of like a, like a sword, the shape of a sword, and they would, they would be con, con, all land soldiers, right? And the phalanx was based upon the fact that the armies. Would, could be, would consist of landed people, the aristocrats, who would be able to afford good weapons, right? Long, sharp spears and, and all that kind of stuff. And the poorer people, who wouldn't have money to buy or make um, weapons, they would just throw stones. Poor guys. don't know how they did They would have slings, like David had. But they would have to make do with whatever they had, and with this kind of army, there was no way they were going to feed, defeat the swarms of Persians that would come in an overwhelming way. Okay, the mescalese understood this, and they understood that the reason why the Greeks could not change their 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 mode of warfare was because of the fact number one, they had such a, a huge uh, uh, process of uh, democratic decision-making among the elites that, and that it would also kind of, uh, you know, the aristocrats had a a vested interest in maintaining their own mode of of going so that it would never move. And Thomas Klee said this, we have to build 200 ships at least and change from being a land-based uh, army to a navy, and that would mean a huge change for everybody. But that meant for the aristocrats they would be reduced to nothing. But then they would have would be able to build up again. And Themistocles understood that from nothing, God or <laughs> the gods had more for them. But it meant two or three years of shipbuilding from scratch, and they did that. Somehow, is able to, to kind of to, to persuade the whole, all the powers that be, to do that, which in 480 got ready a, a smaller fleet than the. Persians had 200. Persians had about 800, 800 ships, but they had 200 ships. The, the Greeks had 200 ships, and they went out through a lot of um, um, smart moves. They were able to trap the Persians at Salamis, and many of you know the famous Battle of Salamis, where the Persians were defeated again. And then later on, the Third Persian War, they, 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 were, they, were, they were defeated again. But what that did was that it made Greece a naval power. From then onwards, their main power was naval. They had reinvented themselves and became far greater than what they could be. They thought the phalanx was the best. But what had happened is that they'd been transformed Pythomestocles, into a naval power. And from then on, they became the dominant power because of that. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes what God does, does is that He has something really much bigger than, than what we think. And He has to reduce us to something really small in order for us to become far greater than we could Imagine. And I think of this, think of God in this way, you see, that we want peanuts from Him. We want the most immediate answers to our problems. What God says is this, I am God. I will never relate to you as as you as my client. I am God. And if you're going to relate to me, you must relate to me as a God. Because any other way of relating to me is inappropriate. You can call me Daddy God and know my love for it, but if you don't relate to me as a God, you, it is an in, inappropriate way because your Daddy God is actually going to be an inappropriate way of relating to me. If you relate presumptuously towards me, just because of the fact that I'm God of love, and you, re, you forget the fact that I am a God, I'm the God, the only God, you will miss out on, on my power as well. You will only domesticize me. Does that make sense? Now in order for us to be free, in order for us to be free, we need to be able to face that God, or else you will always be employing that God in a diminished way to be your helper, and you will never be free of fear. You'll never be fear-free of fear. You must know the most fearsome thing in the universe, the most infinitely fearsome and threatening thing in your life, and know that you can survive it because that thing is for you. Not because everybody says, I'm for you, God is for you and all that. None of that. You must encounter Him in real time. Not encounter a paper that talks about it. You have to encounter that so that you can be free because only the fire of God will burn off the fear. And so no matter how much we talk about the presence of God and we reduce it to a paper, then you will never experience that. You'll only be words, just mantras. Does that make sense? And so what God wanted to do with the children of Israel was to answer them. Not only to set them free, but to answer them in the secret place of thunder. Amen? So let's talk about what we talked about last week. okay? Because I, I promise you it's going to be very short. Turn with me please to Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4. Moses is recounting. Deuteronomy is that that book, if we can call it that, that has to do that places Israel on the other side of the Jordan. They are there, ready to possess the land, and Moses is about to be taken by God, right? And so this, his last words is recap of the of the law. And all that and so what he does is that he says you've got to remember these things because these things are key they're pivotal they're decisive in whether you are going to possess the land or not okay and so he goes over 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 their history verse 10 now we're in verse 10 deuteronomy verse chapter 4 verse 10 remember the day you stood before the lord your god at horeb remember horeb right later called sinai when the lord said to me assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words, hear my words, right? Not read my words, but hear my words. So that they can learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and they may teach their children to fear me. What God was saying is this, if you hear my voice, you will hear how frightening that voice is. How powerful that voice is. You will come into contact with that voice. You will not have an indirect contact with me as I really am. You need to be in the presence of this voice. That voice must be immediate to you. You cannot just hear about that, that, that God has a loud voice. You have to actually be in the voice because it will shake everything sinful out of you. You will be shaken out of that. You will be... You'll be completely shaken. And you need to be shaken or else you'll be having a lot of things that are still sticking to you that need to be shaken off. Does that make sense? So God says, you need to have the fear of me because fear of me is not a cringing fear. It's a fear that comes because of the fact that you're aware of my being and my presence in such a way that it is in your face. You are behooved by it. If you are not immediate to me you will not be feeling the pressure of my presence amen so we want to be before the lord in such a way that his presence is immediate that's what it means by the presence not like later disconnected in time okay we're on the same page right now okay okay good 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 So let's read it. And it says, verse 11, You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the very heart of the heavens. Oh, can you imagine that? The fire went straight up to the heart of the heavens. I don't know where the heart of the heavens is, but it's a very, very long distance. That is how thick the love of God was. I love you to the high heavens. I like you I love you like a fire none of this lovey-dovey stuff that we hear in the Christian world you hear the sound of my words but you saw no form oh sorry I, I, there's some important uh, important bits here you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain and the mountain burned with fire to the very heart of the heavens darkness cloud and thick gloom then the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire and you heard the sound of words, but you saw no form, only a voice. Because God could not be reduced to a form. But it's interesting, we talked about that last, last week, how when God's presence comes, there's a thick gloom. We are used to the fact that when the presence of God comes, it's all happy. But when the presence of God comes in His full fullness and His his heavenly fire it opens up stuff inside us that is sinful that's inadequate that cannot take the presence of god not because god's presence is malicious but because god is god he cannot help it in that sense if you don't mind me using that expression he can't help being god that's why when he comes to the presence of the temple, even the hinges began to start shaking and the, and the lintels and the, and the foundations were, were shaken to the core. Right? That's because God is God, not because he's malicious. Hello? Yes? That's why when the, the demons were cast out of the boy in John chapter 9, I think it's in John 9, chapter 9, um, he fell to the ground as if dead. Everybody thought he was dead. Not because God was being overdramatic or he's being malicious. It's just because of the fact in the presence of God, there's such a, such a shaking that uh, he fell to the ground as dead. That's the presence of God. Yeah? That's the presence of God. And so, what God was saying is this. You still heard the sound, sound of the voice There's a thick gloom that that comes upon us. And there are times in which the presence of God surrounds us. You may not feel the shaking of that, but the presence of God brings up our insecurities. It brings up our regrets. I've seen people who when the presence of God comes, they just weep, not because of joy, but because of deep regret. I've been told by someone... uh, 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 some of you may know Brian Bailey from the World Map um, Conference uh, a great prophet who who died quite a while ago he said when the Lord took him up to heaven he saw, he felt he saw the souls of people who had become Christians and and there was things about their life that were being shown and then there were certain parts that were blank they were just blank, blanked out And they were the places where there was sin in their lives. But when they saw these places where there was sin, they knew it was blanked out. But all the regret, all the sorrow, the godly sorrow that came upon them in the midst of the joy. Does that make sense? All the sorrow of that. And what um, happens is that a lot of times when the Lord comes and you want to go closer to Him, there is a certain gloom about it that He seems to deal with us. He seems to shake us. He begins to shake off the places that, are, that we've been depending upon that have become dependencies. And when He begins to shake those things, these dependencies begin to get shaken, and there's a certain gloom that accompanies the presence of the Lord. So last week we talked a little bit about that, about that gloom that actually comes may i suggest to you that actually in all this god is wanting to purify us we ask for deliverance we ask for our our dainties he gives us that and and of course answers our prayer turn with me to chapter 5 then he talks about it again and he goes deeper Verse 22, the words of the Lord, the, the, Lord, the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountains in the midst of the fire and the cloud of the thick gloom with a great voice. He added no more. He wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And when you he heard the voice in the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me. All the heads of your tribes and all your elders, verse 24, he who said, behold, the Lord, our God has shown us his glory and his greatness and we have heard his voice. From the midst of the fire sometimes you have to be in the fire in order to hear his voice yeah sometimes the voice can only be heard from the midst of the fire because the fire has to burn the other stuff we have seen today that god speaks with man yet he lives that the children of israel are just in awe they saw a revelation of god they didn't see him with their eyes he had no form for them to see but he they saw something and it, the wonder was that they could hear the voice of God and yet live. now when why then should we die (laughs) why then should we die for this fire will consume us if we hear the voice of God any longer then we will die what they were saying is this oh my gosh we didn't die but we heard the voice of God If we keep on hearing this we are going to die and why should we die and so what they were saying is this we don't want to come too close to God because God will kill the life that we have as we know it. He will kill all our creativity, our in, in imagination, and all of the good things that we have that in, in Christian world we think we, we should retain. But when God comes, He comes not to destroy. He comes to relativize all these things, to make them no longer our gods, our identity. Or else you'll always be trying to balance off, God values my creativity and my individuality and I will keep myself and all that. And then God, He's a God who actually destroys everything. So which God do we have? He's a God who will be God in your life and my life. But you have to be careful that you'll not be afraid that you hold on to your own original life. That's it as christians we are afraid of god we don't want to talk to him we don't want to hear his voice because we don't want to lose our life as we know it that's what we that is where that i think is the answer in part to the question i was asking whimsically i think that's the answer the answer is that we don't want that to lose our life as we will and so look what they did Now then, verse 25, why should we die? (laughs) It is saying, if God keeps coming like this, we're going to have a heart attack. No Lipitor is going to save me from that. Now then, why should we die? (laughs) One day we're going to get a heart attack. No, we can't stand this. All this gloom and all this uncertainty and all that and all this fear. No, 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 no. For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of God any longer. (laughs) Boy, I can't take it anymore. Then we will die, for who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Nobody. Go near then. hear all that the Lord our God says, then speak to us all that the Lord our God speaks to you and we will hear and do it. So what they were saying is this. Instead of us hearing the voice of God immediately, instead of being present and immediate to God okay, in real time, we think it's better that He speak to you and you tell us everything that He told you for us. And we will do everything He says. But just don't let us hear the voice of God. okay? Don't let us be in real contact with God so that we can keep our life, so that we can keep our dainties and all the kind of life that is so that we can keep control over our life i say you we need a different kind of god we can call it moses god makes you feel good moses but actually what we want is moses we want you and so they said moses you just write it on a piece of paper or type it up for us And we will just do everything that you say and we'll frame it up and we'll do everything as long as it is one remove from the present when if we can actually just do this Moses just we will obey the Word of God give us religion okay give us something religious theological whatever it is that can be reduced into the realm of the mind which we can control So that there's a little bit of a gap between God saying it immediately and we being able to decide what we're going to do with it, when we want to do with it. What say you? It's much safer. And by doing that, we can step away from God and have religion. We can have that which you, you tell us. With all your priests, we'll give you nice robes. We'll give you all these kinds of things. We'll give you a nice salary and everything and all that Moses. You just do this. you be God to us. We'll call you God. Okay? We'll call you God as long as there is a bit of time. There's a bit of separation between God and this immediate scary... I don't even want to touch that. And this piece of paper... and to, from then onwards christians have been living out of that paper that is why leaders don't have power that's why christians don't have power they can talk but they have no power they can do a lot of things that will attract people to themselves but they have no power because what Moses was supposed to do is to attract people to God, not to them, him, himself. And we don't mind being praised for all the ministry that we do as, and we get affirmed from it. But actually what we want is that, rather than the power of God, which is not nothing to do with us. And so what you do is this. You, put, you transfer the immediate voice of God, the presence of God, into a piece of paper. Or maybe it's not a paper. It's some kind of code of living or certain kind of way in which we we do our church our community or or our our relationship with one another so that it becomes domesticized it's something that's culture culture friendly tiger tiger burning bright in the forest of the night what immortal hand or eye dare frame thy fearful symmetry? William Blake. In what distant deeps or skies burn the fire of thine eyes? And what silver, what, what gold? I can't remember. <laughs> Anybody? What the anvil, what the chain? amen yes when the stars threw down their spears and watered heaven with their spears with their tears sorry did he smile his work to see talking about the tiger did he who made the lamb make thee thee the fear of god is the immediacy of god's presence and what the children of Israel wanted to do, it was to actually just shift it to a safe space, so that because of this, we have a liberalized Christian Christianity that majors in safe spaces. But God is not safe. He's safer than anything else you can ever imagine. He's so safe that he's a rock, he's a fortress. But you don't know that immediately. You only know that on paper until you face the Lord for who He is. Amen? So that's what we were talking about. We were talking about uh, last week (laughs) and this week again. You remember when God answered the children of Israel, He answered them in the secret place of thunder, but He also tested them in the waters of Meribah. Remember that? If you can turn with me very quickly to Exodus chapter 17, there's this incident By the way, Psalm 81 is not actually a happy psalm, is it? Because it ends with regret. Oh, that my people would listen to me, but they would not. In some ways, the texts that we're looking at are not happy texts. And chapter 17 of uh, Exodus it's not really a happy text. It's about the waters of Meribah. Let's have a look at it. Verse 1. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses. <laughs> I love the word therefore. There was no water, therefore it was Moses' fault. <laughs> Poor Moses. But that's what happens, you see, when you're not immediate to the presence of God, what happens is that you are immediate to people and become that, people become the, the primary issue for you when actually the issue is why is God doing this, right? Where is God in all this, right? When you don't have God, when God is in the, on, on the secondary space, then your quarrel is with people rather than with God because God's not near, near you, okay? Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? What's what's that got to do with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up, up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so there are times in which, in this gloom, we experience being led by God, And it seems as if the leading of the lord leads us into something that's really not good it may be a mistake or you know you can blame god for not leading you that clearly or deceiving you or it could be that we come in with great expectations and things don't work out well for us and it is this that i want to focus on for the rest of our time because i just had as i was praying this morning i just felt that there are many who are here or at least several, who have felt disappointed because of the leading of the Lord. It didn't work out. It didn't work out as you thought. You thought it was going to be really great, but it actually turned out wretched. Yeah, is wretched. And you're not really excited about following God anymore because of the fact that He leads us to places like Rephidim. Rephidim was actually as far as geographically and geologically speaking a place of springs actually so going to Rephidim made sense because Rephidim even today has springs even now if you go to Rephidim wherever that place is there are springs right so Moses led them to a place that made sense And it was the cloud, right, that actually led led him. So he was following God as as best as he could. And he led him to that. And there are people who are here who feel that they are in this situation. Things have not worked out the way you expected God to lead you in. And so because of that, you're shaken. So Moses cried out to the Lord, verse 4. What shall I do with these people? A little more, and they will stone me. <laughs> in Deuteronomy chapter, chapter, chapter 5, it says, A little more of this, and, you'll, and we'll die. Moses is saying, A little more of this, and they'll kill me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people, and take with you some of the elders, and take in your hand your staff, with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it. Hallelujah. Praise God. There are times in which you cannot go by what everybody is saying. You just can't. You can't go by the secondary piece of paper that's basically God's words, staying in the realm of your own thinking, of your own mind, your own thoughts. You have to Not be in that dimension. You have to be in the dimension of worship, watching God, being immediate to God. And when God gives you thought, it will not be logical sequence, but it will be discrete particles that will drop from God. Amen. So that's where you have to, you and I have to be in the realm of listening rather than thinking. Because many Christians stay in the realm of thinking, and it must cohere all together. Now, I believe that God is completely logical. But sometimes there is a way in which priority has to be given to listening, then thinking after that. You know, we think in the Holy Spirit, but we listen first. And that's how the medieval scholars under- understood that. You listen, you study in a, in a, in a praise, and worshipful way, in a listening way. And so what, um, what God said to Moses is this, you need to go ahead of that. That the rest of the the set who are all in the shallows, you have to go and launch out into the deep where I am. And where did he ask him to go? Horeb. Horeb. You remember where Horeb? Where the Lord appeared and they heard his voice and that's where they rejected God. And God said, they have said well, From that time onwards, Israel lost their relationship with God in an immediate way. But Moses, in this terrible situation, was told by God to go ahead of the people, go all the way to Horeb, where you're listening to me. You're completely not able to see anything. Yeah? And I will come and speak to you. It was in Horeb that that God said, Remember this, you saw no form, you saw nothing with your eyes, because I cannot be reduced to something that you can understand. Amen? It's outside of that. I feel today when I'm speaking, I'm drawing a line between what is real Christianity and what's not. I don't think the other stuff is real Christianity honestly. I don't mean I'm not saying that people who believe that other stuff are not going to heaven. I think they're going to heaven. God's mercy is wide. But I'm talk- talking about Christianity as a lived thing. As an authentic thing. I don't believe the other stuff where you take the commandments and take the voice of God and you put it on a piece of paper. You know what I mean by it? buy a piece of paper like at a secondary place a secondary safe thing so that you are in control of when you're going to do it so you're in control away from the immediacy of god i don't think that's christianity in one of the in the, the last conference that i was at i had finished speaking and uh I had a, an, uh, an impression that god was healing somebody of epilepsy uh, today there was this word about epilepsy and there was a woman who was there who had been having epilepsy i did not know about that but her problem with epilepsy was this and i some people may be able to explain this every time she entered into worship with any group whether church or uh, intervasti or whatever it is she would get a fit should have a seizure, a seizure. And the Lord spoke to me. Usually, He speaks to me more words of knowledge on a Saturday night. But this time, He spoke to me on Friday. And I had determined in my, my heart that we, are, that we are not going to throw away Friday, because sometimes Friday is a throwaway time, right? I got 15 minutes, half an hour to speak. I was just... I was just Give the introduction and everybody go to bed then we'll come at it on sunday morning but on friday i felt the lord was saying no i want you to be immediate to me nothing happens just perfunctory according to the schedule it happens according to me so i was speaking and i was aware of the presence of god and i I was practicing some of what i'm talking to you about today and the lord spoke to me spoke to me move in the word of knowledge now I had no idea what to move. But he said, move in the word of knowledge. He didn't give me a word of knowledge. He said, move in the word of knowledge. So I know what to do. I said, okay, let's let's be quiet before the Lord. Because that's all I heard. And everybody got quiet in the presence of the Lord. And then I said, there's someone here who has epilepsy. And God wants you to worship him now. I did not know that she every time she worshipped the Lord in corporate worship she would get a seizure and it would be very tiring after so many times it happening. It happened with clockwork uh regularity. So this Friday night I just speak that out. And nothing happened. I didn't know anything. I thought, well gone. That's it. All right. I went to bed a little bit discouraged. i was thinking, huh, huh, what was that all about? Saturday night, this woman comes up to me and says, I want to tell you that this is the first time in many years that I've gone for worship. It's worship on Friday, Saturday morning and Saturday night and I had no seizures at all. I had no seizure at all. I saw her again Sunday morning after, after, after worship. How was it? No seizures. No seizures at all. I have no idea what the medical explanation for that is. All I know is this. I had to act in an immediate way. If I did not, something would have been lost. And she said, I was ready to listen escape from worship, and not come in, just come in during the message. But the Lord spoke to me, immediately, spoke to me, get into the worship. Because it's in the worship that I'm going to heal you. Everything had to be done immediately. Does that make sense? Now here's my thing. I think many people who are Christians don't like to respond to God immediately. Because, maybe we want more safe space maybe we want more negotiable space maybe like we are like one of Jane Austen's heroines who when they're under stress they're feeling all hot and bothered they retire to the, the drawing room so that they can compose themselves maybe that's what we are. we are like Jane Austen's hero, heroines maybe it's just the fact that we just want safety but we want autonomy we want autonomy to do what we want to do when we want to do it And to consider whether we will do it or not. May I suggest to you that when you act in the immediacy of God's presence, then you are acting in the present. Then you have presence of mind as well. That's what it means by acting in obedience with God. It's in the heat of the moment. Amen? Now, my guess is this. We are reflective people. Yeah? So we are reflective. So what we do is reflection back. Reflect back reflex back opposite direction because we want space and space is the place that we have autonomy to decide what we're going to do with god yeah c.s lewis has this uh article says what shall we do with jesus as if the ant can tell what shall we do with this elephant what shall we do with Jesus? The thing that we calculate on our piece of secondary piece of space, this secondary piece of paper, that says, Okay, this is what I'm gonna do after I think about it. And all that thought is mediated by ourselves, our self will, and we on the throne of our life. To be immediate with God means you're saying, God, you are the center, I'm just whirling around you. You say, you move, and I, I will I will respond. That's right. To live immediately in the presence of God means to act immediately. It may be that God says, immediately wait. <laughs> he may say, immediately stop. Okay, yes, all right, immediately stop, stop, stop. But this immediate. Does that make sense? So that our response to God is not um, transposed into another dimension in which after a certain amount of time, we at leisure, at our leisure, at our own pleasure, at our own behest, do what we, we have reflected on to do. Now, there are a lot of things that we need to reflect. Don't get me wrong. A lot of things you have to wait. In fact, some people are too quick. But I'm saying, we respond to God in the moment, even if the response is saying, yes Lord, I will stop. Amen? Now, I think that is why many people don't experience the heat of God's power. Because they wait for it to cool down. There's a cooling off period. You decide what you're going to do come to church every uh, every every week come to daily prayer every week Um, do do your devotions every every week we don't want that right because of the fact that we we want reflection time i think it's good but there are times in which god may be saying reflect quickly (laughs) reflect immediately (laughs) but obey now (laughs) amen Or we run it through our own processing instruments so that we can arrange God so that when we are passing by, we have exactly the same amount of overlap that our agenda allows us. That's why God's always passing. Amen? So I think think this is something that God is speaking to us and that we can experience more of. That does not mean that we become... um, um, What's the word? It will become. Um, uh, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, Im- immediate in the sense of uh, wanting to kind of be hasty. Hasty, yeah. What? Impulsive. Impulsive. Yes, that's right. Thank you. Impulsive, hasty, and I. I. I don't mean that we're supposed to be that. We're supposed to respond immediately. Does that make sense? See, God always acts immediately. When you pray for somebody, He acts immediately. The results may come a bit later, but He acts immediately. Does that make sense? He will always answer you. Even if it means no, He will always answer you, but then perhaps you may see the manifestation of it later. But He is obedient to His Word. He obedient to His own Word to what He owns it says. And He calls us into an immediate relationship with Him and not a dis- disconnected relationship with Him. Amen? Let us pray. I feel that perhaps this is one of the most decisive factors in our experience or non-experience of God. And the children of Israel are described in Exodus 17 in not that great a way. It's regret. And so Moses, if you don't have time to read it, ends that chapter by saying, And so this place was called Meribah or Massah, which meant quarreling or contention. Moses doesn't even say what happened. He just says, God said, go to there, hit the rock. And Moses did so. He doesn't even glorify the fact that out of the rock came water from Horeb. He doesn't even talk about that. It just says after that, And this was called contention. Perhaps we have a contention with God, that God is wanting to heal. But really God wants to set you and me free from fear. He's so loving. Children of Israel didn't realize that God wanted to marry them. And holiness was because of marriage. God was giving himself completely to them. Praise you, Jesus. Have you been feeling far away from God, disconnected from him? Have you been feeling that somehow God has no place to fit into your schedule? Just bring it before him. He's not an unreasonable God. He's not an irrational God. But sometimes what He wants to do is to change the quality of our time with Him, not the amount of time. Be immediate to God right now. We bless Your name. Just talk to God wherever you are right now. Hallelujah. Bless your name. Glory to your name, Lord. We worship you, O God, in this temple. We worship you in spirit and in truth. Praise your name. Make a commitment to Him right now. Immediately. That is why many people don't keep pace with God. Because there's always this one more step. God knew that if they reduce Him to an image or an idol, they would be reduced to a wooden God. And in some ways, Some of us have a paper God or a wooden God. A God that is not sufficient. But a God that can be seen. And so Lord, we welcome you. Bless your name, Lord. Glory to your name. If God's been speaking to you, just open your hands and just invite Him in. to fill up that space, the immediate space. Lord, we repent from ways in which we take you and put you into some safer space so that we can deal with it at our leisure and and under our control. We welcome you, Lord, to come and obliterate everything else. By your fire, take away fear in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit, you Have not destroyed us, but have taken us up to yourself and betrothed yourself to us. We thank you, Lord. We pray for every person who has experienced disappointment. We thank you, Lord. We declare the story is not over. We stay in your presence now. And we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.